0: So my wife says it all the time, it's beautiful. She she always says you can't have a testimony without a test. Kind of feels
1: like the biggest responsibility I have in my world right now is trying to be an awesome parent. Really, I believe forgiveness is more for us than it really is for the other person.
0: I kind of firmly believe that everyone is capable of and deserving of empathy, but I do believe it is a muscle that you have to exercise. The full quote is, if you come to a great chasm in life, jump, it's not that far because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death.
1: You are now embarking on the imperfect experience. everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Imperfect Pod where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, press the subscribe button or press the follow button if you're on Spotify. I'm really excited about this week's guest Tanvir Mostafa where we talk about his bullied to blessed life on it. We talk about his story of being bullied. We also go into more detail about what it's like to be a competitive young man, be goal oriented, and make sure that your habits of today are matching your desires for tomorrow. I really think it's a great episode. He's another young man like myself, um, so we really connected in that way. He makes great content on LinkedIn and on his podcast as well, so definitely subscribe to those if uh, you have time. But We'll get into this week's episode starting now. First thing I always like to do is is ask you, if there was one person, dead or alive, that uh, you would like to have over for dinner, who would it be, and what would you cook for them?
0: It's funny because I actually had this uh, conversation with my uh, girlfriend recently about this, and I was like wondering, okay, I think just due to the recency, well, not just due to the recency of it, but Kobe Bryant had a huge impact on my life, like from when I was growing up, and he was the reason I got into basketball. He was the reason that I'm. As competitive as a person as I am today, you know, as goal driven as I am today, you know, his passing was a day before my birthday, uh, as well my 24th birthday for that, and that that had a huge impact on me. His life had a huge impact on me. So just to be able to pick his brain on not only his career, his his NBA career and how he, you know, strove for goals, how like all the sacrifice that he had to put up, but at the same time all the things that he did after like the the time he spent with his family how he made his daughter such a big focus of his life you know storytelling was something that he became a master of just those are all things that I kind of want to master myself and so he'd be he'd be the guy
1: That's interesting I like how you said you know I think a lot of people sometimes forget like about the part that came after basketball And to me, that was one of the most impressive things was how much of a family man he became. And, you know, you always kind of saw that on the peripheral, but he really honed in on that job of becoming a father and like an active father, like he was Mamba on the basketball court, which I really love that you point that out because I've had conversations about that too, where I'm like, I respect Kobe a lot more for who he became after basketball than who he was. And like, just a a curiosity, like, do you remember where you were when you found out?
0: I do. Um, I was right outside uh, Tim Hortons in the car with my girlfriend. And uh, I'm never going to forget that because we were essentially like getting ready for my birthday the next day. And interestingly enough, like it's your Kobe year, right? Your 24th birthday is your Kobe year. And she was actually going to get me like a Kobe themed birthday cake and like a jersey and a bunch of stuff. Um, We ended up doing something else, but yeah, I remember getting the news. One of my friends texted me just like with Kobe question mark. And I was like, what does that mean? Because I guess they were talking about my Kobe year. But then like I just got this really bad feeling. So I Googled it, started seeing the TMZ headlines. And yeah, I mean, what he did after basketball was the most impressive. Because when you're an NBA player, like that's your job, right? But after that, he did things that like winning an Oscar is nothing that is something extraordinary, right? Like he strove to be best in class in not just. And everything, whether it was his family, his career, um, coaching his kids, his daughters, I, I really respected his work ethic and really respected everything he stood for. So, you know, I I was lucky enough that when he came to Toronto actually for uh, All Star Weekend, it was his last All Star Weekend, and I'm so so glad that myself and my brother we went, we attended, got to see him, got to see him play, and. Uh, I'll cherish that memory forever.
1: Yeah, it's it's I find it so fascinating because I didn't even grow up watching basketball. I I was more of a hockey guy, but I knew who Kobe Bryant was. If I played 2K, I was playing the Lakers because I wanted to be Kobe. Like uh, there's not many people. I remember where I was exactly on the day of their death or where I found out. But I will never forget Kobe because I was enjoying like a all you can eat sushi meal. And uh, I was with a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. And all this, I didn't have Wi-Fi on. I didn't have my data on. And then all of a sudden I I turn it on and I see all these messages from about 10 different groups being like, you know, Kobe died. And I'm like, nah, I just read his tweet last night, you know, shouting out LeBron for passing him in all time points. There's no way that happened. And I'm just like, I was just so hard. Like I actually cried. And it's very, I think the only other death I could think from a celebrity that really hit me that hard was Robin Williams, just because of how much I enjoyed his movies as a kid. Other than that, I really don't think there's anyone that I've been so shocked by dying and i'm just like that it was like the saddest thing but i mean it's so true what you said man like he was just he poured his heart into everything but i'm, I'm really curious like what what would you cook for him and like what would you i guess what would you talk about and beyond that as well
0: what i'd cook for him is is kobe kobe steak like a, a nice because i you i always associated the two like if i even if i were to go out to go out to a restaurant i would I'd try to get kobe it's very rare but it's, it's good so that would definitely be the food of choice And again, just talk, talk to him about storytelling is actually, I think an underrated part of his career, like um, the deer basketball documentary that, or sorry, the deer basketball animated short that he made was nothing short of amazing and understand how after his career was over, you know, how he went about developing it, finding his purpose, finding out what he wanted to do. You know how to take care. Even I'm, I'm, I'm still a young guy, but just how he put his family at the forefront of a lot of things that he did, and then as well work ethic and sacrifice. Kobe, if anything, sacrificed a ton for his career. He he sacrificed a ton of family time, which he was trying to get back after retirement, and um, just pick his brain on those three things. So work ethic, you know, storytelling, and kind of his his relationships like over the years because Kobe had a difficult relationship with his parents as well and just working through that working through his time with his family trying to figure that all out I think those are really three key pillars that are important to me in my life and, uh, and I like to think that I try to emulate from what he tr- he did.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful way of, of putting it. And I think I'm very much in the same realm of the th- three things I'd want to talk to him about. I never even really considered storytelling, but I do think that that is a beautiful way of, man, even sto- he has so many storybook endings to a lot of his moments in his career too. Like the, the game in Toronto and just so many of his different MVPs and, and finals, but you know, to go into like, I guess your story and why you're here, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of a background on yourself?
0: Yeah, so I have, I run a podcast as well called the Blessed for Success podcast, which I'll talk about later more in depth, but essentially it came from, the inspiration came from a lifetime of obstacles, things that got in the way and things that I managed to get over in order to ultimately kind of move to my dream city, uh, get to my dream job and be better off than I was back then. And for more context, I mean, for the majority of my schooling career, probably from grade two or grade three up until pretty much the end of high school, I was bullied very heavily had a lot of incidents like my house getting egged the house that I'm literally sitting in right now had my house and car get egged was like dropped in a puddle like had sticks point like poked into my eyes like a bunch of things and all of that almost led me to dropping out of high school in, in grade 10 thankfully was able to get over it and then in university I was essentially burnt out I was trying to do everything I was having Nutella for breakfast every morning, like literally just tablespoons of Nutella, drinking a can of pop a day. I had ballooned up from 160 pounds at the end of high school to 220 pounds uh, in my second year of university. So that's a 60 pound gain and was able to kind of get past that as well and ultimately turn things around to reset my goals, realign and, and get focused on what I needed to get done to to get to where I want to get to. Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm curious, when you were bullied, was that primarily by other guys? Or was that girls too? Like, what what was the mix there of, of targeted? Because I'm really I've always been curious about how it seems to be a lot of girls bully girls and guys bully guys.
0: Yeah, it was guys. The embarrassing thing is, is that when you're getting bullied by the guys, it's happening in front of the girls, right? And so it like I got embarrassed on many times in front of girls that I had crushes on or, or whatnot. And, and that was, you know, super not a great feeling. But yeah, a bunch of guys still remember a lot
1: of their names yeah it's, it's interesting that you brought up that you feel you remember a lot of their names like are you still holding on to i guess that that anger is there any, anything that you're still kind of like there that you really think that you're trying to work through or that you're like i don't want to i'm not ready to work through this yet because even for myself i remember people that i didn't like almost more than i did like in high school just because of the way they treated me and never people really won't unless they were affected by you the same way, they'll they'll be like, oh, why do you not like them? But I'm curious, like, do you still hold on to those names because of like anger that you have?
0: I don't. I think, especially in recent years, and that's one of the reasons why I started the Bless for Success podcast is I just became super self-aware of what had happened during my life and how it had impacted me. Like I forgive, but I don't forget. And that's that's why I say I remember the names. It's just, I just don't forget what happened. You know, one person that I actually drew inspiration from to kind of get over everything that happened was george st pierre so george st pierre is a ufc fighter retired as a question mark right now but um he also had bullies when he was a kid and you know severe bullies a lot of beat downs a lot of things and he realized many years later that this in the individuals bullying him were like abused by their parents like physically beat and um you understand that bullies are a product of their circumstances it's not necessarily an excuse but they are a product of their circumstances and they need the right support system the right system surrounding them to not be the way they are you know I've been a bully at times everyone's been a bully usually at some point I know when we would have assemblies everyone would be like who's been a bully everyone ready raise their hands who's been bullied everyone would raise their hands so everyone's done it but some are worse than others and George St. Pierre had a really good story where he was kind of like driving in the streets, and this guy came on on his windshield and like kind of knocked. And then he noticed there was this the main kid, like the main bully that used to bully him from from when he was a child. And the guy was like asking for money. George St Pierre was like, "What are you doing here? Why are you, you know, begging? You're, you're like a you're handsome guy. Like you could be getting a job." And he's like, "Oh man, like you must like he was scared. The guy was scared, but George was like, in that moment, you know, I knew like I don't have anything against him. Like it's just a product of circumstance and later that bully ended up coming back and actually thanking George St. Pierre for, for encountering that, encountering him that day and providing him some encouraging words and stuff. And he, he ended up getting a job.
1: Yeah. I think that's so interesting too because I've had a guest on before who talks about his uh bullying experience, Troy Rice, but he talks about how like he always was super empathetic to the bully because he knew that there was probably some situation going on in their house about, you know, maybe typically it's it's something to do with uh, a parent or some sort of emotional shadow or or cloud over themselves in their life. And so I think that's really interesting that you brought that up as well because it's a very empathetic, sympathetic response to that. And did you have that? when you were younger or is that something that you grew to do
0: i didn't have that when i was younger at, at that time it was kind of like what was me you know i'm the victim and um i ended up getting into a lot of fights because of it like they would initiate fights and in middle school i was at a point where prior to that the next year i would like literally like be in my room praying not to get in a fight that year that's that's how bad it got and um just because i didn't want that conflict but it, it was almost like it just ha- happened for me like I don't know, just being myself, and later on in life is, is when I learned that. Like, I started. I remember actually, I became friends with one of the with one of the bullies. I actually like became friends with him just from like a circle of friends. Like, he used to bully me, but then all of a sudden we were friends, and I got to see what kind of like the inside of his home looked like and how he was treated, and I was like surprised, you know. And and I think over time I learned more about that. It's about those circumstances and, and how you're raised and and all that. So I I would say I'm much more empathetic now than I was back then.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important, like, that's, it's such a, it's such a journey to become empathetic. It's not like you're just born empathetic. I mean, some people might be, have a more tendency to be that way, but it is really a lot of self-reflection that goes into it. And so I, I like how you, how you mentioned that, but in terms of like, why you were bullied, do you know, has that ever become clear to you? Was, were you just like an easy target? Like what was, what was going on there?
0: Yeah. For the longest time, I didn't know the answer to that question. You know, it was very hard to distinguish what was the reason that I was being picked, out, picked on, and I think it's what you just said. Like, I think I was an easy target because I was always trying to be kind of like the outspoken kid in the class, you know, raising my hand, trying to impress the teacher, getting involved in clubs, being like a pure helper, being on this club, that club, that sports team, and that, I think, bothered some people. You know, when you try to be outspoken, it tends to make you a target, and so that ended up happening. That's why people, I think, came after me. And that had lingering effects, I think, still still to this day, in, in some way, shape, or manner. All those bullying experiences affected me, and that's something I struggle to sort through almost every day but i i'd say that's the reason
1: in regards to you mentioned how you know the more you get attention the more hate you're going to get just like the way it works um is that something that you've grown to learn and accept in your life is that you know you will have people that don't like you have you struggled with being like a people pleaser because of your bullying experiences kind of what's your thought process on that now
0: yeah i think two things one is you realize that you just absolutely can't please everybody and then number two like one of the maybe it's not a good thing but kind of one of my favorite quotes is you know, you're not growing fast enough, you don't have any haters or something like that. It sounds something like that, because, you know, the more you grow, at least in terms of, let's say, personal brand, or in terms of acknowledgement, the, the more that you're going to get people who disagree with you. And that's just, that's just a matter of mathematics, uh, really. And so, you know, the more you put yourself out there, the more you're likely you are to track more eyes, the more likely you are to track people that Relate to you and you know say positive things about you, but equally that may say negative things about you or may not like your perspectives.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of that quote. It might be if no one hates you, then you're not strong enough in your convictions or something like that. It's like you're not, you're not, you're just swaying too much. You're playing too much middle, and I think a lot of people don't like that people feel more passionate about loving someone than just liking someone and and people feel more passionate about hating someone than just like disliking someone i've I've always found that that human psychology really interesting how we levitate to that and because i've i've had the same experience with like um people like gary v where i'm like man this guy's so annoying but i've also had experiences where i'm like i love this this guy's message at the same time like there's just so much there where it's like i i agree with some parts of him and i disagree with some parts but he promotes this active idea that like you can hate these things about me but this is who I am. And I I respect that because of it. And so I'm like, okay, I just won't watch his content around that. I just won't listen to him around this idea or this subject. But a lot of the things that I do for my podcast and I do in my personal life, I would say a tribute to that idea that I'm just going and being me, which he's obviously not the first person to say that, but he's definitely someone that I've watched for a long time and then grew finally with enough confidence to be able to do it for myself. And I still like have those messages where I Typically lean away from him, but I can't not trace it back to him. Like it almost always comes back a lot of it to him, which I'm I'm sure like we've had the conversation about him being a mentor to you as well. So I'm really interested in your in your perspective on that.
0: I've actually met Gary I think three times in my life, um, and on one of those occasions, I had the opportunity to be security guard for him for a day. I was volunteering at a conference uh, called Haste and Hustle, at which he was the keynote speaker, and. Uh, I was assigned to be his security for the day and just kind of help him and his team navigate the day, get them anything they wanted and make sure that people weren't spending too much time with him, essentially, because he had to get through a lot of people, sign a lot of books, so on and so forth. And I took that opportunity to observe because you know i take my whenever i'm given a job i take my job seriously i didn't want to ask too many questions i didn't want to chat him up or anything like that i really just wanted to observe because the two previous times that i had seen him i had I had the opportunity to talk to him and pick his brain little and i mean his brain is literally on the internet like you can get whatever advice you want to get to him online get from him online unless it's like a personalized business question but i thought okay now i get to see gary in his element let me let me see what he does and the most shocking thing to me was, it was two things. One, it was his energy for like a long day, like a 10-hour day. He had almost what it seemed, un- unlimited energy, barely eating, constantly speaking to people, uh, constantly moving to place from place to place. So that was like really shocking. And then number two was the undivided attention he would give every single person speaking to him. Like it really astounded me because sometimes there'd be someone talking to him and we would be rushing that person away but he would be like, no, no wait, And then would continue to address their question and continue to kind of add some conclusion to what they had asked and was doing that for almost every person. And I was like, this is amazing. You know, for someone who's so in demand, everyone's already always wanted to pick brain, ask questions. He's giving every single person undivided attention and giving it to them with the utmost energy, you know, not lazy, not, not minced words, like just full on energy. And, um, since that day, like those are two things that I try to implement in my life, like trying to figure out how can I increase my everyday energy. And when I'm speaking to somebody, how do I give them my undivided uh, attention?
1: Yeah, I think that last one is really something I'm trying to work on too, because obviously, in such an age of distraction, there's just so much going on. We're like, okay, this is this is not worth my time. And it's a really selfish idea to not give someone your full attention. And the last week, the last guest I had on as well, Alan Stein jr. He talks about that as well. He's like, you have, to, you have to be fully present in the moment, live in this. And I'm not sure if he's going to be the last guest that I head on when I figure out my schedule. But it's just like so true how... We need to be disciplined enough to live in the moment, but kind of like building up to the moment, even where you met Gary V and you've had these opportunities, you know, you talked a lot about how you were the go-getter in class and then the kind of bullying took you away from that a bit. But when did you kind of realize that these moments of being involved were really a strength that you had and why did you keep going through that even though you were bullied for it?
0: I think it actually helped me escape the bullying a little, to be honest. Um, I was always a go-getter. My, that's something that my dad taught me, just ambition and kind of having goals and, and going after them. And, and hard work reaps rewards is always something that I was taught. But it was also slowly but surely, I was getting more and more involved in, in high school, especially in grade 10 when when I wanted to drop out. That was the year that I played, at least, I think, 10 sports that, that school year. So yeah, it was crazy. Super busy, got me super involved. I also had a goal that year. Of being athlete of the year, so you know it helped me escape from the bullies essentially. And one thing that I'm not proud to admit either was, when you're bullied like that, I also didn't, I like didn't want to come home because I didn't want to bring the shame of being bullied home. And I knew that if I were just at home, I would just like be depressed and like be like you know in a a bad state of mind. So I used all these extracurriculars not just to try and achieve my goals, but to distract me to, to take me away from all of that. And what's crazy is that. You know after after all of that, one of my main goals in high school was to become co-president in of my high school. And thankfully, I ended up succeeding succeeding in that, and that's actually when the bullying stopped because people kind of saw that they really couldn't say much to me anymore because of what I had been able to become despite being bullied. And that was a super proud, proud moment in my life. However, when I got into university and all those extracurriculars, like especially the sports, weren't there as much anymore, that's when my mindset shift started falling off the wagon. I was still getting involved. I was still, I was working, I think three jobs at one point. I was a part of multiple like case studies clubs, Enactus, which was like a worldwide um, social enterprise organization that I was a part of.
1: I feel like that's where I know you from. Possibly. Because I was an Anactus Laurier and I went to like South Africa. I went to...
0: I went to South Africa.
1: I went to Vancouver. Um, nice. The, the world cup in toronto i feel like i knew like i feel like i recognized you but i wasn't sure from where but it may have been the okay what you were you went to you of ottawa too right yeah that was the year you you won
0: yeah and we went to worlds yeah yeah
1: so, okay so that's how definitely how i recognized yeah there you me. go okay, small, world. <laughs> small world
0: small <laughs> world
1: yeah I was, I was like i definitely know this guy from somewhere but i, I we must have met there because i'm like this guy seems super familiar from a university event i just don't know which one
0: we must have met at worlds or something because i remember the the teams from canada were were super few but we all met and and hung out so nice that's super cool um but yeah so in university especially when the sports started hitting the wayside that's when the weight gain started happening that's when i really started whatever i i really started letting whatever i could fill my calendar with like get in the way when you're in when you're in grade school or high school your day is structured right like you have your all day school. Whereas in university, the classes are different time slots and you could put like club work in between, you can put work in between, like whatever it may be. And it wasn't really until second year, end of second year, when I was burnt out, I had a breakup, was feeling like a zombie every day, was at the peak of my weight gain that I realized I had to kind of quit everything and restart from zero. Like, okay, what are my goals? What do I want? Can I get in shape? Like, all those things were where I had to kind of reset. And and that was the moment where I realized like, okay, now I got to put the pedal to my pedal and pedal to the metal and, and go after the goals that I've always wanted. And, and that.
1: I have a question regarding the presidency at your high school. Was that voted for by the students or? Yes. So I find it super interesting that you were voted in, even though you were bullied so heavily, like it's like that you'll be bullied in, in the, um, in the open, but behind like, you know, deep inside of everyone, they know that you are someone that they respect because of your go-getter attitude. So I I really find that interesting that despite your experiences of being bullied, you were still, because normally those are unpopular kids just from the way that they are. Everyone like laughs at them, but it seems like you still had a lot of people's respect. Like what, what was like, what was the voting process there? Did you have like a majority? Was it pretty significant that you, that you became a president? Like how, what was that process like?
0: Yeah, so I was in student council. I was actually the only candidate that was in student council from from like grade 9, so grade 9 through 12. So people knew me as being the guy on student council. I was also a pretty good public speaker, so I delivered a pretty good speech. Also, by being involved on all the sports teams, on, you know, different clubs, that's how people knew me. And when you think about it, like, bullies really only make up, like... Nowadays, you'll hear what we call vocal minorities, right? Like, let's say people who disagree with what's going on right now. Right now, there's a worldwide pandemic happening, right? And there'll be small groups of people disagreeing against social distance, distancing and protesting. Like, I saw this group in Vancouver, like, protesting what's going on and getting out in the streets and stuff. It's very vocal because the news spreads fast about them because it's against the grain, but it's a small minority. So it doesn't really reflect the opinion of the majority of the people. Same thing goes for bullies, Right. There's a small, they're a small minority because they're against the grain. They are loud, but they don't reflect the opinions of the majority of the group. So, you know, by being involved, by, you know, being myself and, and finding people that I could relate with and making great friends who helped me and supported me, that's ultimately how I got to where I wanted to get to. And that kind of showed that despite the bullying, I wasn't going to be put down.
1: Yeah. And I really like that that attitude and that you recognize that because I think a lot of the times, and I also liked how you pointed out how there was still the shame to you and you didn't want to bring that home because I think a lot of the times for, for when I was in high school, I really hated my high school experience for a lot of reasons. I wasn't really bullied too much, but I was like, My background is that I was homeschooled till grade nine. So I only knew people in like in high school that I'd played like hockey and and baseball with in the summers and and maybe through some church experiences. But when I got to high school, I'm like, everyone has all these different cliques. Uh, So it really took me a long time to fit in. And so I always kind of took that shame home, but I put it into video games. I didn't really put it into being part of the school. And I, I really look back on it as like an unhealthy way of filling that void. But even for you, there was... A lot of the reasoning behind what you did was maybe unhealthy, but in the long term, it provided you with opportunity that really allowed you to shape uh, yourself in a lot of ways. And to me, it's like the same thing as going to the gym. Even if, if you're bullied for being overweight and that makes you go to the gym, at least your health is still, at least there's still progress and learning behind that. For me, playing video games, there wasn't a lot of it. And like that's one thing I really wish I could take back. And I think it's all about how you can use those things, even though you didn't realize maybe in the time that you were learning and growing through it, I think it's still admirable that you're like, and obviously shame isn't something that anyone wants to feel, but I think it was a really good way to channel that if that makes any sense.
0: Absolutely. I mean, shame definitely isn't something that anyone wants to feel. And there would be nights where even if I didn't have a sport that night, like if I, if I didn't have a sport, I would like stay in our like our student council office after hours for like two three hours just like doing random stuff whether it was like school work or, or watching youtube videos we even had a, like a gamecube in there so i play gamecube for for however long and i would just chill and then i would take the bus home but i actually wouldn't walk into my house i would just like walk around the neighborhood walk around the park like just so i could just like literally come home go to bed go to go to school the next morning because I, I i just felt like if i left myself vulnerable like to to just sitting around the house and thinking then it would it would get to very dark places that I didn't want it to and so that's how I kept myself distracted the issue with that was and like you said was you know, when you join sports or stuff, it's structured for you. Like it's kind of set up for you. Whereas once you get into being a real adult, you have to create the structure for yourself. And that's when I ran into the biggest barrier. Like how do I create structure in my own life without having other people do it for me? And that's when things really fell off the wagon. I burnt out. I came into every day going to work, going to school, feeling like a zombie, pretty much, you know, almost passing out in the middle of a school presentation. It was embarrassing. And and, and that's when I tried to take control.
1: And so how did you kind of get control of that? Because like, obviously, you know, when I went to university, it's very easy to fall into really bad habits, like awful habits, whether it's sleeping, whether it's eating, whether it's because you do have all that control that all of a sudden you you have. It's like just thrust upon you. So how did you kind of get over that? And how did you grow through that to now the point where it's like, like, have you become comfortable with those thoughts? Are you still trying to like uh, run away from them? What's what's been your process through that?
0: Mm-hmm. I'll answer that last question first. So yeah, I, I'm I'm comfortable with those thoughts. I've actually very much come to terms with everything that's happened. And that's part of the reason why I was able to start the podcast is just to be able to acknowledge what's happened to me. The The comment that I just made to you now about walking around the neighborhood, I actually didn't re- remember, like, it was locked back there kind of in like a vault, but I actually didn't remember that happening until I recently started to acknowledge what had happened and what are the chain of events that that led me to being the way I was back then. I do think, however, it led to lingering effects like I I used to be a very, very social person, like very outgoing. And I think part of that has diminished essentially before I used to get my energy from other people. Now I kind of need my alone time. Sometimes I need to like isolate for a bit to, in order to have the right amount of energy to engage with other people. That's, that's definitely a major shift I felt in my life. And not that that's a bad thing. You know, some people are like that, but it's just how I operate now. And then sorry, what was the other question?
1: What was my other question? Like, I guess, what was your, what do you, I really don't remember, but I really wanted to go on that point there. We'll just switch it up. Anyways. There was a point you made there about, um, oh, now I can't remember that one.
0: That's okay. I can say kind of, I think what we were trying to get at is what I did to change. So what I did to change, it was a few things. One of them was right away, like quitting everything that I couldn't control. So if there were meetings in my schedule, if there were clubs that like needed meetings at certain times, I can't pick what those meeting times are. I can't pick what those day times are. You know, they pick it for me and I just hit accept and I go and attend the meetings. I realized that I need to switch that up. This isn't something I recommend to everybody, but for me at the time, I needed to take control of my calendar and I needed to prioritize the things that hit the forefront. So for me, those were health. So putting in gym time every day and then only doing things. I was doing a lot of stuff for the sake of doing stuff. It was like doing it just to put it on my resume and doing it because it would make me more, I don't know, known, um, more involved, like that sort of thing. I don't know how to explain it, but I just started realizing I needed to only align with things that led me towards my actual goals. One, which was moving to Toronto and the other was finding a, a kind of my dream job in sales, tech sales. And then obviously uh, health and fitness. So gym time, I looked for a job at a bank where actually I already had a job at a bank, but I was essentially moving towards internships in Toronto. So set those up and then started networking with people in sales. Uh, Those are really the three things. And then in my fourth year, again, wasn't involved in any clubs except one where I got to use my passion. I love dancing as well. Dancing is something that I've loved to do not since I was a kid. And it was essentially a charity show that you auditioned for practice and then danced in front of like a large audience and raised money for the local hospital. So that was the only club I was part of, but I also started a club. So I started a club around sales. Um, it was the first ever sales club on my university campus because that aligned with my passion that would help me get my job in Toronto and ultimately help me get my dream job.
1: Yeah. And then now that you're there, what's, what what are kind of your next steps in terms of overcoming adversity? What are your next steps in terms of like, what are your next goals now you've hit the ones that you've thought about for a while?
0: Mm-hmm. Um mastery uh really like you know this this comes back to Kobe like Kobe really was always trying to learn he was curious was trying to gain mastery of his craft right now for me that's sales like how can i keep mastering that art and that comes with practice right getting in front of clients um selling to them constantly adjusting your methodologies experimenting a b testing what you call it so is that the other is general like my my pillars for me are health wealth and self so the other you know career falls into wealth, but so does financial independence, that sort of thing. So working on my financial, my financial health, you could say, working on my physical health, so just constantly adding new obstacles, I want to eventually run a marathon, you know, on the self portion, just taking care, it aligns with health, but meditating, taking care of my family, things like that, my relationships, those all fall under self, because they're a part of who I am. You know what I mean? So I mean, that's, that's a rough idea of what my goals are, but falls into those three categories.
1: Beautiful. I really wanted to kind of go back and and kind of circle back and finish with the thought of shame because I think it's such a prominent feeling in a lot of men that we don't talk about and it's really easy to not express that but really I think is holding us all back in a lot of ways is shame you know for me it's a lot of like the shame that I am overweight and therefore I won't put myself out on the internet because therefore I don't like you know putting my face in front of a camera can be a shameful aspect for a lot of people who have self-conscious or those views so like what are your thoughts on shame as like a whole not just in your life but What are your kind of experiences with it? But what do you think a lot of young men, because we're both, you're 24, I'm turning 24 this year. What do you think young men can do to get over that shame or whatever shame they're carrying?
0: Yeah, uh, shame for me always tied into imposter syndrome as well. So, I mean, those years of bullying always made me feel like I didn't belong because of who I was and I didn't feel accepted and and all those things. And I think there's really two ways that, that you can, you know, counter that. One is surrounding yourself with a support system and this is sometimes very difficult you know when you put yourself out out there though you will find people that you relate with like podcasting you know now I can talk with a bunch of podcasters like there are people who don't like me and I remember when I launched my podcast I had a one-star review within the first week really and yeah and I knew that 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 was likely somebody when someone gives you a one-star they don't like you yeah and I knew that was probably someone in my past that that had something against me and, and they left that there but I, I have like-minded thinkers, you know, like-minded podcasters who I can go to and that's my community. You know, that's that's one of the communities that I have. So if whatever your hobbies are, whatever you're into, if it's video games, video games, if it's, you know, sports, sports, like find communities. And nowadays with online, it's so easy to find those communities and, and have people that you can interact with. But even in your day-to-day life, like see who those people are and, and seek them out and surround yourself with that support system. The second thing is goals. Like for me, the really the main thing that kept me going through all that self-shame, self-doubt is having goals that I wanted to reach. Because if I can tell myself that I'm going to reach that goal, then I can cut that shame in half over and over and over again. You know, I kept coming home with shame every day after being bullied, but I know that knew that I wanted to be co-president. So I if I can be co-president or if I can get close, then I can cut that shame in half because now I can come home proud. In the moment, you can create smaller goals for yourself. You know, you don't have to wait however many years to achieve that goal in the moment you can you can create smaller goals for yourself when I was in grade 10 honest to god that was like at at its height ready to drop out of school ready to do harmful things having the goal of being athlete of the year is the only thing that got me through that year because at that time I didn't even I felt lonely right I didn't even know about the support system around me I didn't feel like I could go to anybody they're there trust me but you might not necessarily feel it in the moment however if you have goals for yourself that's your partner that's your friend that's your north star that's what you can be focused on every single day. And that blocks out all the noise, all the shame, all the self-doubt, all the imposter syndrome and uh, lets you work towards something that you you can be proud of.
1: Yeah, I wanted to go back to that point you made about cutting shame in half as well, because I think it sounded a lot, almost like um, you know chasing wealth in a lot of ways and or chasing happiness or chasing success. Like once you're there, it cuts the shame in half. Did you feel like it was kind of different in the way of success? Cause it's like, you get to a, a top of a mountain of success. You want to get it to another one. Like, obviously there's goals that continue in life, but did you actually feel like because you were very active, you were very involved in school, did you actively and actually feel like these goals that you achieved cut down on your shame to in a healing way? Or was it more in a way to be like, I can, I'm proving people wrong? Like, what was your thought process on that?
0: I'm a competitive guy. So for me, it was kind of like, I'm proving people wrong, but I'm also proving myself right. Because for me, like my main driver in life, man, my main motivation is always, am I good? Can I be as good as I think I can be? And like, I'm not trying to say that you need to set a goal out like years from now or like a long-term goal and you achieve that. And all of a sudden that shame's is cut now. I mean, you can do that on the daily, right? You can like work on your health daily. You can work on getting smarter daily, learning courses, you know, working towards a wealthy life, whatever it may be, whatever your long-term goals may be creating daily habits to align. I have a whiteboard in my, in my room back here that says, are your habits today on par with the dreams that you have for tomorrow? And I think that's a super powerful, I I don't know where I got it from. I think I might've made it up, but I put it on there because it serves as a daily reminder that there are things that you can do all the time to be proud of yourself and instill more confidence in yourself. I think the way that you get over shame is by increasing your level of confidence. And the way that you increase your level of confidence is by practicing regular habits, regular work ethic, regular patterns that, assist you in achieving those things that you want in the long term.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious, in, in terms of your goal setting uh, strategy, do you make smart, measurable or whatever, like that smart synonym? Is that kind of your strategy? Or do you make goals that are like, that seems totally unrealistic?
0: So it's funny, because before I used to just kind of keep them in my head, like I used to kind of keep the goals in my head and law of attraction, like I would just put in the, the work and it would happen. But I wouldn't write it down or anything like that. I would just kind of envision it see what it would look like see what it would feel like and it would happen more recently definitely at the beginning of this year I did it I think I did it last year as well is I've been a lot more focused on what are the goals that I want in different aspects of my life so I I write down three goals for the year so three big major goals and then I wrote a board of 10-year goals as well that are just like just out there like on the board for me to know what they are and for me to revisit always but Essentially what I do is I, I write those three big goals. So like, let's say health, for example, and then I break it down on one level. So I, so I might say, okay, I want to run a, I don't know, a half marathon this year, or I want to be able to, I don't know, bench this amount or, or whatever, whatever the, the physical goals might be for the year. And then I break them down into, okay, what do I need to do every single day or every single week to ultimately get to that final goal? So that, yeah, that's how I do it.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cause I've always found like, um, I was a residence life don at university, which just means I lived on in like, uh, on the floor with first years and as a, as an upper year. And they always said, make uh, smart goals. And I'm like, I don't like the idea of these smart goals because it, it seems like realistic. There, there's always a limit on what people think as realistic. Like I have goals of interviewing Steph Curry, Terry Cruz, and people will tell me that's not realistic. And I'm like, listen, I've already had people that I've never even like that are one tier away from these people or like one connection away from these people. Like, don't tell me what's not realistic just because it's not, doesn't work in your head. That's why I've never really like catered a lot to, I guess, like the typical standard smart goals. I'm like, just write down your goal. I believe so much in the law of attraction. I believe so much in what you write and what you say will come true in, in a timely manner that works according to your life. And so I was really curious on hearing what your perspective on that was. So thank you so much for sharing that.
0: Yeah, one one thing I will also mention is that I think you should also have, and this is this is a concept from Naveen Jain. He's a he's a billionaire, and he has a concept called moonshot goals, and that's a goal that's like completely unrealistic, like completely out of the realm of something that you would think would would ever happen. And you see it all the time. Like if you talk to Steph Curry, or if you talk to you know Terry Crews, Matthew McConaughey, like a bunch of celebrities and famous people, you go tell them now and be like, ten years ago, if I knew I was going to be here like doing this. I would never, ever have imagined it, but or never, never ha- ever have been like able to see it. But in reality, that was a dream that they had back then. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was something that they wanted to accomplish. And so, a moonshot goal can be super powerful because it's kind of like a north. It's another north star for you to have. And I do believe in law law, law of attraction. You will, if that truly is a dream for you, whether you're writing smart goals to get there or not. I think you will do the things you will do things to progress to get there. Sometimes just writing down those smart goals or writing down those small aspects helps you realize the exact steps that you might need to take. But I mean, when I was a kid and getting bullied, like when I was in public school, getting in fights all the time, if you would have told me I would have been co-president of my high school, I don't know if that would have happened. You know, I don't, if you were to tell me 10 years ago that I was going to do security guard, be security for Gary Vee for a day. Like, I don't, like what? I, I don't know if that would happen. So crazy things like that. I wanted to have Kobe on my interview, on my on my podcast and so don't ever let somebody tell you that you can't do something that's part of the intro for my for my podcast and it's uh, will smith in the pursuit of happiness don't ever let somebody tell
1: you that you can't do something. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And then I guess that's like a perfect way to morph into, I guess, this last question that I have for you. You kind of brought it up earlier, but you know, you talked about your dad and how he taught you about hard work and, and setting those goals for yourself and that being a huge impact on your life. But I mean, if there, if there is one piece of advice or if that is the one piece of advice, what is the one thing that your father told you that you live by and carry through every day?
0: Mm -hmm. This is something that my uh, father told me when I was young. And it's also something that his his father, so my grandfather passed down to him. And it was, as long as you have a penny in your pocket, you are rich. And that, it takes a little bit of perspective and it takes a little bit of thought to understand that because many people don't even have that, right? It places me, or I think it's actually put a dime, as long as you have a dime in your pocket, but it places you in a form of perspective. What you have versus what others may not have helps me feel grateful for that, which I do have, helps me feel grateful for really every moment and every single thing. Every Every day of life is is, is essentially what I'm trying to say. And it's hard to think of in the moment, but I often do reflection and, I, and I, that's why I'm blessed as part of my title for my podcast is just because I, I regularly feel that feeling of being feeling blessed and then having that. And that was something that my dad, along with ambition, you know, taught me about.
1: Yeah. I think that's amazing too. Cause I think so much, we have to realize that gratitude and feeling blessed is a practice that we really have to, to train and discipline ourselves into feeling. And that's something I'm trying to do as well, but you just mentioned your podcast, you know, why don't you share a bit about where my audience can find you, what you're up to, what you got coming next and uh, everything about yourself.
0: Absolutely, the podcast is called Blessed for Success podcast. It's all about overcoming life's ob- obstacles, adversities, um, everything that kind of gets thrown your way to ultimately overcome it and be successful on the other side. Season three is coming up. I just had season two launch with a different episode coming out every week. Episodes with individuals like Mark Metry, Armando Cruz from Miami. Great list of upcoming guests. And you can find me on Instagram at Blessed for Success PC. Find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn where I'm the most active, Tamer Mustafa. Yeah, those would, be, those would be the spots and you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere that you listen to podcasts.
1: Perfect. Tanvir, thank you so much for joining me on the Imperfect Podcast. I appreciated your insights about shame and bullying uh, a lot. Um, I think it's very wise to have a, another young man come on and, and talk about those vulnerabilities in a very authentic way and definitely to share those tangible ideas about goals and whatnot is going to be very valuable for my audience and it's inspiring to see um, what you're doing and it's so funny that we're both we've both been in the same place at the same time together i think i definitely recognize you from there we finally figured it out because we've been having that conversation before but i'm really happy that you could be on my podcast and uh excited for it to come out and for everyone to listen
0: absolutely man you've been a great host i'm, I'm super pumped to see you know as two toronto podcasters see how 10 years from now we've evolved and and, and move things forward you're gonna have Steph on the podcast and it's gonna be awesome so i can't wait and, and this is super fun thank you
1: awesome thanks so much Thank you everyone again so much for listening to this week's episode. I'm excited to share that I've seen some growth over some listens for this podcast over the last few weeks and I'd really appreciate it if you could please leave a review on iTunes. Press the subscribe button if you're on Spotify. Press the follow button. Go to my Instagram, The Imperfect Pod. Follow me there for some clips and quotes that you'll see from the weeks as well as past weeks and make sure that you check out Tanvir on social media. You can connect with him on LinkedIn under his name Tanvir Mostafa. You can follow him on Facebook Um, but make sure to definitely check out his podcast. He releases great content both there and on LinkedIn so that's why I would recommend that you check those out and I appreciate him so much for coming on this week or yeah this week's episode. As always thank you everyone so much for listening and I'll see you all next week.